Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. <laughs> <laughs> and we are recording on our two year anniversary of the existence of this podcast. Very cool. Two years. It's been crazy going from zero people downloading the podcast to thousands. So I can't I can't say how much I appreciate you, Jake, for being here Thank and you. appreciating everybody that's listening. Absolutely. It's been a wild ride. It's been great. I mean, yeah. really, all the people that I've gotten to talk to and interview and the time I've got to spend with you here at the podcast, uh, making a new friend for life has been great. Here's to a few more years. Here's to a few more years. All right. So what have we got for today? Today, we, we, we have- are finally, <laughs> finally getting back to the top movie cars of all time. Right. So we did is, 20 through 11. Right. And we're going to do nine through one because I deleted one because I just didn't feel like it. And the one, <laughs> and the one I deleted so, was Bullet. The Mustang from Bullet. I completely just deleted it because it's not. We can, well, you can just say that's number 10. Bullet. Bullet. No yeah. Number 10. It was like number eight or something like that. And it's it's such a it's an important movie because of the chase scene and how yeah. it revolutionized the way that chase scenes happen in movies. But as a movie car. It's not that interesting. It's not a character necessarily. It's not a character. And like I said before. Although it is the best part of the movie because the rest of the movie is very boring. It's very boring. But it did revolutionize car chases. And that's why that movie is cool. It's not cool because of the car. It could have been any car, really. You know, I mean, it was yes, Steve McQueen driving it. It's kind of cool that it's a Mustang. Yeah. But it could have been a Camaro. It could have been whatever. And it, it doing that, doing what it did in that movie mm-hmm. would still probably be an iconic movie as it is. Yeah. That's true. So I got rid of that one. I didn't feel like talking about it just because I just truly do not enjoy the movie. Just like I <laughs> just like I truly do not enjoy the movie Lamar with Steve McQueen. Also, a really, really you have to force yourself yeah. to sit through the movie. You know, it's cool with the sounds and the Years sights. Years ago I did watch the whole thing start to finish. Painful. Especially like the night stuff where they're sitting in a trailer and the wife is like, and it's it's no good. So anyway, before we get into number nine, what have you got for us? Yes, let's take a moment to talk about WeatherTech. So if you know someone who loves their car, who I imagine if you're listening to this, you do, then give them the gift of WeatherTech this holiday season. So designed to enhance your vehicle's experience, WeatherTech's wide variety of products, we've covered on many of them. They're really a perfect gift for any car lover. From the famous floor liners and cargo liners that are laser measured and custom fit to protect your car's carpet, to their tech care line of detailing and cleaning products made to ensure that your entire car truck stays clean, their products are proudly made right here in the USA with unbeatable quality. So be sure to visit weathertech.com to view all of their products this holiday season. And of course, we always have a giveaway with WeatherTech every month. So we have two $50 WeatherTech gift cards that you can enter to win via the following URL of weathertech.com slash overcrest. All right, on to number nine. Number nine. This is a car that everybody should have expected to have on the list. And do you know what it is just by guessing? No. No. All right. So let's play a clip, and I think you'll probably pick up on it right away. Marty, you made it. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to my latest experiment. This is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. Uh, Well, it's a DeLorean, right? Bear with me, Marty. All your questions will be answered. Roll tape. Okay. We'll proceed. Uh, Got it. Is that a Devo? Never mind that now. Never mind that now. Not now. All right. I'm ready. Good evening. I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing on the parking lot at Twin Pines Mall 
It's Saturday morning, October 26, 1985, 118 AM, and this is temporal experiment number one. And how fast did this temporal experiment need to go? 88 miles per hour. And this baby hits 88 miles per hour. You're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fantastic Such movie. Such an iconic Absolutely movie. fantastic. It's, um, we have another really famous movie car coming up later on the episode that's well known as the most famous car of all time. But I would guarantee, I would wager, wouldn't guarantee, I can't, well, usually I can guarantee every, anything that I think is true. <laughs> but I would wager that this car this is, is certainly notorious. Yeah, it shows up at every car show that's at a drive-in, <laughs> <laughs> drive-in rest. If there's a car show, at a drive-in restaurant, you are almost guaranteed that there's going to be a DeLorean there, which is kind of a bummer because the car is actually, I don't like DeLoreans. They're not a great car. They're not a great car, means. but they look but the cool. But the movie is awesome. The movie's cool. The, the taillights on the, the rear three-quarter look of a DeLorean is really rad. Yeah, and that's a perfect descriptor, rad, because it is <laughs> dated 80s, but rad in its so, own he, right. So here's the question. Do you think the car would have been picked for the movie if it didn't have gullwing doors? Probably not. I, I mean, it's because into- it was so kind of just crazy and iconic is, I assume, why they picked it. Well, yeah. So um, this was the movie was in 1985. And we know that DeLorean went under in 1982. Um, DeLorean was a company that was defunct when the movie came out, uh, The comp- which was the DeLorean company was created in the 70s. Right. Um, they had big ambitions <laughs> oh, yeah. for their sports car. Big, big emissions, big money. It was to have a stainless steel uh, chassis. Uh, I'm sorry, panels, body right. panels. Not a stainless steel chassis. I don't know if that would work out very well. Yeah. Um, designed by well-known car designer Giugiato Giugiario, who designed one of my favorite cars, the Volkswagen. The Mark One, The Mark I, Volkswagen Rabbit, the Scirocco, and a bunch of other stuff. A weight and some alpha stuff too, which is oh yeah, yeah. yeah. A weight of twenty two hundred pounds, a mid engine chassis, and highly advanced safety. <laughs> so that's what they were going for. This yeah, okay. This is like yeah, this is, this <laughs> because, is the ideal. Yeah, development it, of the car would cost a small fortune, and we should do a history episode and dig into this. Yeah, little, I'm, I'm going to kind of just gloss over things a little bit. The Delorean Motor Company was created in seventy five with an uh, initial public offering IPO in nineteen seventy seven. The same year, Delorean showed off a prototype for the DMC twelve sports car complete with its gull wing doors and it all went downhill from there (laughs) for some reason the thing went from mid-engine to rear engine okay and then instead of having a cool engine they ended up because if you look at a pantera which is i don't want to compare the two but if you think of like an engine that could have been in a like a more italian looking designing car type situation they could have put a better engine in it than a v6 out of a peugeot renault and volvo collaboration yes exactly what's awesome about a detomosa pantera it used a detroit big block right why didn't they just put a v8 in the thing why did it have to be know. some like little French slash Swedish the slash worst? <laughs> you know, what, what could have possibly gone wrong? So and, from, but they did not meet their twenty two hundred curb pound uh, goal, from what I know. No, they absolutely did not. Um, so it ended up costing twenty five thousand dollars, which in nineteen uh, big money. It, it, yeah, it was it's big money on October nineteenth, nineteen eighty two. The same day. DeLorean's factory was announced to be closed. The man behind the car was arrested in a cocaine trafficking bust. He had been set up by a neighbor, an FBI informant, and was caught in an L.A. <laughs> so I imagine this guy's neighbor was really mad about something. Like the guy wasn't cutting oh, his grass. that's why he set him up. Or, or he, he was like taking his newspaper or his dog was taking a shit on his lawn. Any myriad of things. They were like, you know what? We're going to set this guy up for, for drug trafficking. 
So well, I don't was, think they set him up for drug trafficking. He was drug trafficking. Yeah, that's, well, he just was, it happened. says right here, he had been set up by his neighbor and FBI informant. Yes, he was drug trafficking from what I know. It just, I think that's how they caught him. Right, and if he just would have kept his dog under control, we might still have some sort of DeLorean <laughs> today. Sure. He was caught in an uh, at an L.A. hotel saying... It's better than gold after being given a large case of cocaine by the undercover FBI agents. <laughs> acquitted in August 1984. How do you get acquitted? After saying that. How do you say it's better than gold and have a huge briefcase full of cocaine? <laughs> and then they're, they let you go. Successfully claiming governmental entrapment. Mm. Mm. Curious. <laughs> uh, we're gonna, we're, we, you got it. Oh, it's on my list. It. It's been on my list a while. I think we should do it. I think maybe we can make it a two-parter. I think yeah. we should maybe interview There's some people. There's enough there. Get me out there. Keep pounding, this, pounding the dirt a little bit. Agreed. See who you can talk to. Um, but the damage to his reputation and finances had been done. Um, so the DeLorean wasn't the, uh, the first choice for the DeLorean in Back to the Future. Wait, really? Really. So first they were going to have a, they didn't know if they were going to have a car at all. So they were just going to have a truck and then put a time machine in the back. Okay. Which is like, I don't really know how that's, um, <laughs> one of the guys from the movie said, how are we going to do this? There are a lot of logistics in moving this thing around. Yeah. Let's put it in the car and make it mobile. So Ford, once they found out they were going to try and have a car in the movie, they tried to get Doc Brown to drive a Mustang and would have paid $75,000 for product placement. No kidding. But screenwriter Bob Gale wouldn't have any of it. <laughs> he says, I said, no, no, no. Doc Brown doesn't drive a fucking Mustang. It has to be a DeLorean, said Gale. And the rest, of course, is history. Hey, Doc, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Such an awesome scene and movie. You know, if you think about... It's been probably 15 years or more since I've seen any of these movies. Oh, really? Oh, it's been a long time. I think I'd like to go back and rewatch it. Maybe we'll watch them with the kids or something. Who knows? Yeah. Just, so the second one's terrible, by the way. Is that the one where future. it's in the Wild Wild West? No, no, no. That's the third one. I think that's pretty good still. No, I like the one in the future where Biff is like, oh, uh, it's, it's kind of like this dystopian future stuff, which I like. <laughs> yeah, except it was last that. year. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> judging by the political climate today, everybody's uh, fighting with each other on social media. Know. It's almost like the same yeah. thing. Not really. No, no not at what all. What is so cool about that movie, if you go back and rewatch it, look for all the little Easter eggs and details. I oh, remember yeah. every time I watched that movie. Just print them out and like and watch with like, just have a list of them and just wait for them and watch for them. Right. It'd be because fun. there's so many details. Like that first clip you played where he's like, we're here at Twin Pine Mall. When he goes back in time, he hits a pine tree. And when he comes back to the future, it's called Lone Pine Mall. That's awesome. That's just one little detail. It's and they're really, like really just good. scattered throughout the movie. It's, uh, I would like to see, here's the thing. I would love to see another Back to the Future movie, but I think with Michael J. Fox's disease, I don't know that it's going to happen. Yeah. It's probably going to be something that happens when he's not with us anymore someday, where we see kind of a resurgence of Back what's, to the Future. Uh, what's what Doc's be, name? Okay. Lloyd? Not. Uh, what's it? I'm not sure. But what? How about this? Okay, let's <laughs> okay. say how are we going to redo Back to the Future? Uh huh. I think it's almost like. <laughs> <laughs> what you're I'm just laughing i think i this think this is gonna some, be a this terrible is almost idea. exactly like the uh the fast and the, i know you're like yeah hire me on board all right so what's me. your no, right. no really i think we could do it i think right, you what's find, your concept so they find the 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 car the car was destroyed do you not remember how the third one ends no i don't how is the car destroyed Okay, well, maybe they don't find it. <laughs> maybe they find it. Because Doc time. comes back in the steam engine train that's, right. that's flying. Yeah, because they which don't. Which is kind of stupid. Yeah. 
But they have the technology to do it, so they're going to do it. <laughs> but what if we find the thing that creates the, the flux capacitor, the, the, the 1.21 gigawatts of right. energy, and someone's like, oh, what is this for? And then he finds like Doc Brown's notebook, and they try to like recreate. It could be, it could be cool. I think it could be neat. It could be. And this another pop culture. This is the car that yeah. um, Ready Player One, Ready Player Parsable. One, Parsable drives yeah. in the scene. There's we're going to mention this again later, too. That's that is such a great movie for Easter eggs as well. See, a lot of the pop culture references were over my head in that movie. There's a lot of video game ones for sure. Right. Like there's a Master Chief from Halo is in there. Yep. And there's a bunch of other things. And there's a lot of anime stuff. Like if you like anime and anime movies and characters and things like that. Uh, Vol I think Voltron is in there. There's all kinds of really cool I wonder if they had to pay for those references. I wonder. Mm, probably not because it's doing more benefit bringing them back to light than, yeah, well, you know. Sonic the Hedgehog is in it, which is cool. Oh. Yeah, it's neat. Anyway, so let's move on. All right. Okay, on to number eight. Okay. So this is the main character in the story. Well, there's two main characters. One is the car, and the other is a kid or a teenager named Arnie Cunningham. Do you know Arnie Cunningham? Arnie Cunningham. He buys a car for $250 and restores it at Darnell's, a local do-it-yourself auto repair facility. The car is repaired haphazardly, and not all the repairs seem to have been done by Arnie, who becomes withdrawn the more he spends time around the car, yet more confident and self-assured, and whose appearance improves in tandem with the car. This is Christine. This is Christine, and it is a 1958 Plymouth Fury. So, um, Buddy Repperton is kind of like the the antagonist in the movie. He's okay. got like a gang. They destroy the car. They want revenge because Buddy was expelled because Arnie's teacher told Buddy that he threatened him with a switchblade. So he gets expelled from school. So then he goes and he smashes the car. The repair, um, the car repairs itself. So Arnie goes <laughs> and sees the car smashed to pieces. Yo. And he's there and he's like, oh, man, I don't know. This is terrible. He spent so much time working on the car. Right. And then all of a sudden the car starts to like pop out all the dents and all the chrome comes back to life. And it's this weird, erotic, provocative <laughs> thing. I'm serious. It's really, really weird. The car takes over Arnie's life, turning him in from a nice guy into someone who's purely evil and crazy, humorless, arrogant, and cruel. Let me tell you a little something about love, Dennis. It has voracious appetite. It eats everything. Friendship, family. It kills me how much it eats. But I'll tell you something else. You feed it right, and it can be a beautiful thing, and that's what we have. You know, when someone believes in you, man, you can do anything, any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out, world, because nobody can stop you. Then nobody, ever. And you feel this way about Lee. <laughs> what? Fuck no. Talking about Christine, man. No shitter ever came between me and Christine. Now you watch this. Oh, man, there is nothing finer than being behind the wheel of your own car. Except maybe for pussy. <laughs> so I remember only this scene of the movie. And it's great because he, the guy that's – it's his buddy basically in the right. car with him, and he lets go of the steering wheel. Yep. And the car starts driving itself, and you can just see the guy sweating. Yep. His feet are on the floor. He doesn't know what's going on. So basically the, the, the movie becomes a revenge film for – Christine killing anyone that has ever wronged Arnie and Christine. So 
Christina actually tries to kill his girlfriend, too, by wrapping the seatbelt around her neck and choking her out <laughs> in the car. And there's this great scene where the car is on fire. They're trying to kill the car or whatever. The car is on fire, and uh, what's the Repperton uh, is running down the street in the dark, and the car is on fire chasing him down <laughs> as, as he runs down the street. So basically what happens at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, um, the guy who owns the shop basically crushes the car with a bulldozer. Arnie dies, um, but a part of the car is still moving just a little bit at the end of the movie. So this this car is really pure evil. What do you know? What year it is nineteen? Oh, the movie. I honestly, I do not. I do not know. Probably early mid eighties. Okay, something like that. Why? No, I'm just curious. <laughs> I so this uh, is a pop culture icon. This movie, and one of the things that I noticed, and I saw it. I didn't have to. This there's Easter eggs for Stephen King. There's always oh. the car ends up in other movies. Yo. There's uh, in the movie it. Mm-hmm. Someone's got a shirt on, like one of the kids has a shirt on, and it's Christina's on the shirt. Oh, cool. Which is neat. And then in Ready Player One, have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. So you remember the scene where all the cars are racing, and there's the big King Kong and the dinosaur and all that yeah. stuff? Christine is one of the cars racing. Oh, I didn't in realize that, that. It's really, really, uh, it's, it's a great film, scary, creepy, but as a uh, movie car, Wait, it it's to, up there. Absolutely must be on the list. Okay, on to number seven yes lucky number seven what do we got all right so lucky number seven i'm gonna just play a clip and you just tell me when you know what the car (laughs) is okay so if you give me your undivided attention we've installed some rather interesting modifications oh yes (laughs) that's cute oil slick rear bulletproof screen and left and right front wing machine guns now this one i'm particularly keen about you see the gear leader here now if you take the top off you'll find a little red button the ejector seat. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't touch it. No, why not? <laughs> because you release this section of the roof and engage and fire the passenger ejector seat. <laughs> ejector seat? You're joking. <laughs> Sean I never joke about so my work. He's the best bond. Obviously. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of where the new bond is going. But um so this is a nineteen sixty-three Aston Martin DB five. This is a four-liter in line six with a round. 300 horsepower, wow. which in 1963 is a lot. Yeah. So other than the DeLorean, this is well known as the most famous car in the world. And it's referred to kind of, that's kind of its nickname. Yeah, it's the, it's most, the Bond car. It's the Bond car. It's the most famous car in the world. And it maybe at one time it was. It's probably not anymore. Okay. It's been taken over by DeLorean or, or some other cars that might be on this list later would be more recognizable. But I called up Nigel Manzel from Haggerty. And he's got some really interesting insight into this car. So I'm going to play you our interview with Nigel so he can kind of explain why this car is known as one of the most famous cars in the world. Morning, Chris. Mr. Nigel Matthews, how's it going, man? Good. Good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm, uh, I've am i been working on this uh, this best movie cars thing that we're doing for a very long time. It's 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 a rabbit hole that is getting very, very deep. <laughs> as, yeah. as you start to dig into all the histories of all these cars, but obviously one that I think is really important, and it was I was scrolling through some history and looking at websites and stuff like that, and I saw that you just had written an article on the Aston Martin DB5 that was a Bond car, and I figured who up, who better to call than you who had just done some recent history on the car? So I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about the history of the Aston Martin sure. DB5. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, actually, I wrote this story in 2006, uh, but when when this 
in particular, a car came up for auction again. You know, it sold in 2006. That's when I did my initial story. Right. And then when it came up again for sale again, it, it, uh, I revisited my story and uh, and filled in all the, the changes that have taken place since then. And uh, yeah, that's how that came about. I'm very familiar. With, I'm very familiar with the sister car, to the car that sold sold last week, because that you know that used to live in Vancouver where I live. And a dear friend of mine owned that car. He purchased it for seven thousand dollars in 1982. <laughs> Well, that's quite the investment. There's three cars, right? There's three cars that were movie cars that we know of. Well, yeah, there were four cars in total, um, but uh, the first car is the most significant car, and that's actually the car that Connery did all the driving scenes in. And that was it's so, such a significant car because it was actually the DB5 prototype. It was a modified DB4, and that was the DB5 prototype. Um, and that's the one that got stolen. So that left stolen. What do you mean? Three. How? What? Are, what do you mean stolen? Well, DB uh, DP two one six one, which was the driving car, um, it eventually got sold and ended up in the United States. And uh, a developer from Florida called Anthony Puglesi the third, he purchased that car at a Sotheby's auction. And he and his brother-in-law um, moved around the country and displayed it at car shows for a while. And then uh, he talked Jack Grundy from Grundy Insurance into insuring the car uh, for its appraised value. So it, it was appraised uh, for $4 million. So Grundy agreed to insure it for $3.2 million, uh, 80% of the appraised value. And then, lo and behold, not long after that, um, it got stolen out of a, an aircraft hangar in Boca Raton. Um, <clears throat> the, the was foul play ever car, expected with that type of thing? I mean, you just get insurance oh, and the car oh, disappears. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But Grundy, the who was underwriting uh, uh, the, I mean, Chubb, Chubb Insurance, who underwrote the Grundy policy, uh, and they paid out on the claim, uh, and they've been investigating that claim every day since, right up until this very day. There's still an employee at Chubb Insurance who's convinced that one day uh, he might crack the, the case or find the car. Um, <laughs> oh, it's still missing. What, what, oh, it's still missing, but it will never be seen again because the car was dragged out of this hangar in the Boca Raton airport and uh, the tire marks in the, in the concrete stopped. Uh, obviously, they stopped when the car got dragged by a winch up the ramp into the back of a small, of a medium-sized aircraft, I imagine. And away it went. And most people think that it was launched out of the back of that aircraft off the coast of Florida somewhere. Um, obviously, if foul play was involved and one is a, is a committing an insurance fraud, you certainly wouldn't want the car to ever surface. No pun intended. I suppose. I suppose not. <laughs> so, which car was that then? That was the the one that Bond drove. That was that was the one that Connery did all the driving scenes in. And I, in my research, I refer to that as the driving car. And then they built a gadget car, or other people refer to it as the effects car. And that was the car with the ejector seat and, and the machine guns and all the gadgets. So they used that in filming when they when they needed uh, all those sorts of action scenes. 
So those were the only two cars that were actually used in the filming of the two of Goldfinger and Thunderball. And then later on, actually just before Thunderball was released, <clears throat> Aeon Productions, the, the, the movie production company, commissioned two uh, promotional cars to be built and to promote the, the upcoming movie Thunderball. And these cars traveled the world. I mean, they went to Australia, they went to Japan, they went, they went all over the world to promote the movie. Um, these cars were built at a, at a tremendous expense. At, at that time, you could buy a brand new Aston Martin DB5 for approximately $12,000 US. The cost of these cars each to build with all of the effects was close to $62,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, back in the day, that was, uh, that was this is the late 60s. This is pretty stunning expense. After uh, Aeon Productions had decided that they had, the, the cars had run their course and done their promotional duties, they decided to sell them. And they sold them to, at the time, he was Sir Anthony Bamford, the gentleman who owns JCB Tractors. Um, and he bought them for a song. I believe he paid $3,750 each for them. Wow, that's, so, a, that's a huge loss by the production company. <laughs> it certainly was. It certainly was. But uh, I guess they were prepared to, to take the loss. Um, Anthony Bamford kept the cars for a, for a short period of time. Uh, a good friend of his, a, a gentleman called Sandy Luscombe-White, who was a London stockbroker, he was determined that to own one of those cars. So he, he struck up a deal with uh, Anthony Bamford to, um, he did a straight swap for a Ferrari 250 GTO for one of the promotional cars. So uh, that, that particular car was DB5 2017R. Now, in my opinion, that, that transaction or that deal was the most expensive bond car to ever um, change hands because Lord Bamford still owns that 250 GTO today. I believe he's actually the only person on the planet that owns two 250 GTOs. And that car today would be worth at least $50 million. Right. Well, that's a hell of a trade, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it's a stunning trade, isn't it? But uh, you know, I guess nobody was looking into the crystal ball and knew, the, knew what the future uh, held. Right. So so, um, um, so did, this car, did these cars end up in any other movies as time went on? No, they didn't. Okay. Um, they they didn't. They were they really were promotional cars, um, and the new owners of them down the road, uh, they, you know, they had a lot of fun with those cars too, and they they took them to shows and events and and, and showed them off. Um, I think every uh, there's there's a lot of people that own a silver birch uh, Aston Martin DB5 that would claim it's a Bond car. <laughs> Oh, wouldn't, why wouldn't you? <laughs> that, exactly. That, that, yeah. as, <laughs> exactly. So why do you think this car is has been so... When you think of movie cars, it's like this car, and of course, I'm just talking about the regular guy on the street, not even a car enthusiast. Yeah. Not, you know, they think the Bond car, they think Bullet, they think maybe Eleanor from Gone in, 50 second, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Why do you think the Bond car yeah. is one of those cars? I think it's such an iconic car, and David Worrell's book referred to it as the most famous car in the world. Um, it just, I think it's just a demographic of us baby boomers that grew up with this car. Uh, I still have the little Corgi toy 
that, that you know they sold back in the day little corgi toy with a little man sitting in the passenger seat and the ejector seat and all that stuff. Um, it's pretty amazing when you think that the total uh, uh, amount of footage time for the, you know a Bond DB5 in both movies was only 13 minutes. So, um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. But you're absolutely right. I don't can't think of too many other cars other than, uh, yeah, the Mustang and Bullet. Um, that really jump out at you uh, and stand out as a, as a famous movie car. I, but I was interested last weekend when I was at Pebble Beach, uh, the orange Lamborghini Miura, which was featured in, it, it was actually the very car um, was that was used in the, the Italian job. Okay. Um, that was at Pebble Beach. Uh, so that's a pretty iconic car, too. I wonder what happened to any of those minis that were used. I mean, they all got jumped down a bunch of stairs, so they, there might not be much left. But do, do I don't, yeah, I don't think there's many of those left, and I don't think the that motor coach um, survived either. You know that they all drove up into. Right, right. Uh, it's interesting that the owner of the of the the, uh, the bullet Mustang. Um, I mean, that car got an awful lot of press uh, over the last year. Yeah, when it kind of reappeared. That's reappeared. been carefully planned, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be right because now it's coming up; it's going to be sold. Right. So, I suspect for the owner, the car has kind of run its course, and what more could could he do with it? Right. You know, when you own something like that, it sort of, you know, it almost melds with your personality. You become the guy with that car, and the weight of that must yeah. be really heavy. It 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 would almost be a relief to get rid of it, honestly. That is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time. Where, where can people find out more about uh, about Haggerty if they want to learn a little bit more? Well, they can probably find it if they just go to Haggerty.com and look for videos uh, under our videos uh, section. Sure. Well, we'll, um, we'll link right to your website. And um, I, I appreciate the uh, the Never Stop Driving book that you guys put out, too. I've got a bunch of I've got a bunch of photography in there. So I'm going to we'll be talking about that book in a little bit for you guys and um, kind of giving you a little okay. bit of a plug there. It's a, it's, a, it's a really wonderful book that you guys did. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah we kind of, uh, we live and breathe it 24-7. You absolutely do. So uh, I appreciate it, yeah. and, and take care of yourself. I, thank you. Okay, Chris. Yep, bye-bye. All right, what did you think? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, Chris, all I have to say is we need to get <laughs> some scuba equipment. Well, first, got to get diver certified. <laughs> well, that too. And maybe a submarine. <laughs> yeah, and figure out where that original DB5 is off the I coast of Florida a, somewhere. If you have a car that's that valuable and you want to do insurance fraud, you can definitely, if you're going to get millions of dollars insurance, you can afford to fly a plane, put the car on the plane, and push it out of a plane. And I then probably afford guess. to pay somebody to kill the pilot. <laughs> Which, that took a dark turn. Well, it's, you've got to keep everybody quiet. Wow. All right. Next on the list, number six. <sighs> okay. Here we go. Focus. Speed. <laughs> I am speed. Oh, One yep. winner. 42 losers. I eat losers for breakfast. Breakfast. Maybe I should have had breakfast. Brecky could be good for me. No, no, no. Stay focused. Speed. I'm faster than fast, quicker than quick. I am lightning. Hey, lightning. You ready? All right. So we all know lightning, lightning McQueen. McQueen. So 
Like, so can I tell you something before you continue? Yeah, I'm just now listening to that without watching the movie Cars. I just now realized that's Owen Wilson that voiced it. Yeah. I didn't realize that, I guess, until do you, now. Do you know who Doc Hudson is? No. Doc Hudson, the Hudson Hornet, the fabulous Hudson Hornet. From okay. You, do you know who the voice is? No, I don't. It's Paul Newman. Is it really? It's 100%. So, Jake, imagine a world where humans do not exist and sentient anthropomorphic cars dominate the world. What would the most popular event be? Yeah, it'd be racing. It'd be racing, of right? Course so it, it sounds like absolute heaven. So Light McQueen is one of those cars, and this is an animated Pixar film. If you haven't seen this car, you are a bad person. <laughs> so who do you think Lightning McQueen is named after? Of course, Steve McQueen. That is incorrect. What? But the character is not named after Steve McQueen, but after Pixar animator Glenn McQueen, who died in 2002. Do, so, uh, do you think they recognized at least the correlation? I'm sure they did because there's some there's a lot of kind of parallels that get drawn between different things. Okay. And they his character kind of came from a composite of Muhammad Ali and some other characters. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So they like composited what his character would be kind of like an arrogant but naive kind of kind of guy. So what kind of car do you think he's based off of? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's a stock car. So, yeah. It's either got to be like a Monte Carlo or... <laughs> there are some Monte Carlo looking things in there. This was based, from what I can tell, from what I read, okay. a Ford GT, Corvette, a Lola, and even other NASCAR stock cars. Yeah. So I don't see any Lola in there. No. But I do Or maybe. Ford GT. I do see the Ford GT in the rear end. I oh, do really? see it with the with the way the the, the back end comes up kind a little of the bit. Clamshell yeah, it's almost. got like a little spoiler thing sure. that sticks out of the back. I kind of see that. So this is a great movie about what happens when you're too insensitive, cocky, or naive yeah. for your own good, and how we're too all better. Too big for your britches. Too big for your britches. And well, he had some pretty big britches. He was one of the most famous cars out there at the yeah. time. You know. Um, so, but until oh, what was the European car's name? Do you remember the is love was was the Formula One guy? Right? I don't remember. Oh. I don't remember. So this is a movie about how when we. We all surround ourselves with friends and good people. Good things can happen. The movie, the movie basically throws Lightning McQueen into a small town where he gets arrested and has to perform customer service, which is to repave the road in the town. <laughs> he does it as fast as he can, right? And then he does a terrible job, and he despises all of it. Who do you think you are? Look, Doc said when I finish, I could go. That was the deal. The deal was you fix the road, not make it worse. I'll scrape it off. Start over again. Hey, look, Grandpa, I'm not a bulldozer. I'm a race car. Oh, is that right? Then why don't we just have a little race? Me and you. What? <laughs> Me and you? Is that a joke? If you win, you go and I fix the road. If I win, you do the road my way. Doc, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't mean to be rude No here, one in Doc. the town knows well, who Doc is. You probably go zero to 60 mm. in like, what, 3.5 years? Well, then I reckon you ain't got nothing to worry about. You know what, old-timer? That's a wonderful idea. That's okay, crazy. so I'm realizing, I don't know if I ever saw the original Cars. I saw really? one of the sequels. Okay, the original because I'm, one. I'm referring to one that you probably haven't seen, where he like goes to Europe. This, and, this is the original. So basically what happens, so you've got Doc Hudson, who's basically the town doctor, yep. basically. And he's, he comes up, and he's the one that organizes, oh, we got to repave this road, stuff like that. And then he challenges him to a race and says, hey... If I win, right. you have to fix this road. If you win, you can leave. So, okay. he, so he pulls up to the on this dirt track, right? There's this dirt track out behind the town. Uh -huh. And uh, he basically, they go, go, right? And yep. Doc Hudson doesn't even move. He just sits there and lets McQueen fly off into the distance, and he totally crashes. 
He just oh. he's just he just crashes. Doc Hudson comes up and talks to him after the race. Hey, was that floating like a Cadillac? Or was that stinging like a beamer? I'm confused. <laughs> you drive like you fix roads. Lousy. So there's he, that Muhammad Ali reference. That is a Muhammad Ali reference. So after this after this race, he sneaks into Doc Hudson's garage and has a moment. And it's really it really reveals his character of who he is. This is like if you had to pick a scene to define who he was before he became a good person, it would probably be this scene. Oh, Doc, time to clean out the garage, buddy. Come on. What? He has a piston cup? Oh my gosh. Three piston cups? Sign says stay up. You have three piston cups. How could you? I knew you couldn't drive. I didn't know you couldn't read. You're the Hudson Hornet. Wait over it flows, like I told you. Of course, I I can't believe I didn't see it before. You're the fabulous Hudson Hornet. You still hold the record for most wins in a single season. Oh, we gotta talk. You gotta show me your tricks, please. I already tried that. I mean, you won the championship three times. Look at those trophies. You look. All I see is a bunch of empty cups. Okay, so you've got two separate types of characters right there, basically, right? You've got yeah. Doc, who has already achieved everything that Lightning McQueen wants to achieve, mm-hmm. but none of it matters at all to Doc. But it's the only thing that matters to Lightning McQueen. And you see this contrast of two different characters right there, and you can see who Lightning McQueen could become. So eventually they become friends, and Doc ends up tutoring McQueen, and we see that he goes on to lose the big race. So one of the other cars that he's in like first place and one of the other cars crashes at the end of the movie and there's this super jerk stock car. He's a total, you know, he's an a-hole and he ends up winning the race and he's over there going, ha, yeah, I win. I'm great. I'm awesome. And here's Lightning McQueen pushing this other car that broke down across the finish line. So we see a wonderful movie of the transformation of a naive, self-righteous jerk to a selfless individual who redeems himself completely in the end. It is an amazing movie with a great lesson of humility in the end. Can I tell you the one thing that is wrong with every one of those movies? What's that? If you were to personify a car, what and where are the eyes? The eyes should be the headlights. Of course they should be. But you need to understand that the animators... Needed. If you look at the range of expressions that they yeah, have, they probably couldn't do that. They couldn't do it, headlights. and there's a huge amount of range of expressions that they have. Yeah. And the and the windshield becomes this thing that all the characters have different eyes in the thing, and it's it works out really well. But there's one thing that we can't leave out. Okay. From the uh, from a sound clip from this movie, which is his famous tagline. Good job. Good job. Good job. Every time he does this. Wonderful movie. Really, uh, it's, it's, it's really touching. Everybody should watch it. It's it's one of the best Pixar films ever made. That is a bold statement. What's better? Toy Story, also good. One of the best. But what's better is than Cars? Up. Pixar? Up is uh, DreamWorks. Uh, no. I think that's DreamWorks. That yeah, might be DreamWorks. That's certainly up there. That is, a, that is a that's te- one of my. That is a tearjerker. Oh, for sure. sure. Okay, on to number five. Yes. Name. 
Kowalski. Occupation, driver. Transporting a supercharged Dodge Challenger from Denver to San Francisco. Background, Medal of Honor in Vietnam. Former stock and bike racer. Former cop, dishonorably discharged. Now he uses speed to get himself up. To get himself gone. So do you know it? Is that Vantage Point? It is Vanishing Point. And which is cool is because we've both been to the final scene or the location of the final scene. Location of the final scene. And uh, so this movie was released in 1971. And Vanishing Point tells the story, as the trailer said, of Kowalski, a car delivery driver who high on Benzedrine and at the wheel of a supercharged (laughs) Dodge Challenger leads police. Supposed supercharged. It wasn't actually supercharged. No. It was still at a four barrel carburetor on it, though, which is pretty sweet. Um, So basically, he's made a bet that he can make the trip from Denver to San Francisco in 15 hours. So the car featured in this movie is a 1970 Dodge Challenger RT powered by a 440 four-barrel and an A833 four-speed pistol grip transmission. I love pistol. The pistol grip. The pistol grips are great. So there's lots of cool uh, scenes in this movie. You've got a scene where he races a Jaguar that's got like a half roll cage in it. And the guy's like got an orange helmet on. And they kind of it's it's the classic car chase thing where guess what? It goes down to one lane and only one man can come out alive. Yep. All right, another scene in here is pretty classy, and I'll give you this the clip, and you okay. can just imagine what was happening. So there was there's there's other great scenes too with the with the, the the two gay guys that he picks up is a little bit weird, and then he talks See, to I this, don't remember this. And then he talks to this like naked girl riding around on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's something I can do for you. Well, like what? Like anything you want. <laughs> like like anything you want. So, so at face value, this movie seems a little bit like something that's pretty straightforward, right? It's just a guy yeah. driving, but it's more than that. We can analyze this movie oh, geez. in okay. an, an I'm ex- sure existential way a little bit. Okay. <laughs> this movie is a, is Kowalski's search to experience speed and gives him a sense of release from a disappointing existence as a failed stock car driver, cop, whatever. He ends up being like a like a clown driver in like a demo derby, as, as is found out later in the movie. In the latter part of the film, the blind DJ Super Soul yeah. announces that his radio station is to be renamed K.O.W. Alski in honor of the last... American hero to whom speed means the freedom of soul. And there goes the challenger being chased by the blue, blue meanies on wheels. The vicious traffic squad cars are after our lone driver, the last American hero, the, the electric centaur, the demigod, the super driver of the Golden West. Two nasty Nazi cars are close behind the beautiful lone driver. The police numbers are getting closer, closer, closer to our soul hero in his soul mobile. Yeah, baby, they're about to strike. They're going to get him, smash him, rip. The last beautiful free soul on this planet. So there's a little bit to that when you talk about the last free soul on the planet and you think okay. of the name of the movie. So at the end of the movie, he's got a big, huge grin on his face as he drives at high speed into the bulldozer, right. which could be drug-fueled. We don't really know. Um, the end of the film represents peak existence as the only way to exist after failure and disappointment has filled his entire life. Film critic Corey Wilson says... Heroism, in its purest definition, is an appetite for freedom, a desire to live more intensely. Kowalski possesses both those, these traits, but the realization of heroism depends on the liveliness of the potential hero's imagination, upon how far he can understand his own latent needs and devise an outlet for them. 
And Kowalski seems to be one of those romantics who cannot translate his bird-eye views back into everyday life, hence his penchant for driving fast on public highways and the use of amphetamines. Wilson refers to a quote, when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. So Mm. I imagine that he was basically intending to die throughout this entire film. It was in those final moments, that vanishing point in the distance, that Kowalski, a man with nothing to live for, was allowed to feel truly alive. That got deep. It did get deep, but I think it. I think it's pretty accurate. Yeah, I like it. Okay, on to number four. We saved the best for last. The 67 Shelby Mustang GT500. The GT500. Yeah, yeah. There she is. Yep. There's Eleanor. So this is a great movie, and I feel like I need to go rewatch it again because it, it, it's it's, it's kind of corny. I don't care. I don't care at all. So <laughs> what's cool about this movie? Um, Cage did a lot of his own stunts. So oh, we, did he? He went and attended Bondurant Driving School in Phoenix, Arizona, Will Springs, and Bobby Orr Stunt Driving School. Huh. And if you pause the film, you can see Cage driving as Eleanor rips 180 degree spins and power slides through LA traffic. The only stunt he was not allowed to do were the high speed nitrous runs for obvious safety safety reasons. Right when he's going through the drainage ditches through LA. Right, and he's kind of a character in this movie, and I just want to play one scene from this that really defines <laughs> the character of Memphis Reigns. I think Nick Cage is the Memphis, only guy. Memphis, that was it, okay. Memphis Reigns. My name's Roger, sir. May I be of some help? That's funny. My name's Roger. Two Rogers Two don't Rogers make don't a right. right. <laughs> Roger, I have a problem. Yes. I've been in L.A. for three months now. I have money, I have taste. But I'm not on anybody's A-list, and Saturday night is the loneliest night of the week for me. Well, a Ferrari would certainly change that. Perhaps. Hmm. But you know? <laughs> Perhaps. This one, yes. Yes, 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 this one. Yes, I saw three of these parked outside the local Starbucks this morning, which tells me only one thing. There's too many self-indulgent wieners in this city with too much bloody money. <laughs> now, if I was driving a 1967 275 GTB4 cam, you would not be a self-indulgent wiener, sir. You'd be a connoisseur. Precisely. <laughs> Champagne would fall from the heavens, doors would open, velvet robes would part. I don't have one here. However, I do have one in the warehouse. Superb. What else do you have in the warehouse? What else do you have in the warehouse? <laughs> That's right. So Eleanor is the only Ford Mustang in history to receive star title credit in a movie. Oh, I didn't so realize actually, that. Yeah, it's actually credit. So this car, um, the ones that they were racing in the movie were 351 cubic inch, 5.7 liter, four racing engines connected to a three-speed automatic gearbox. So the one of the movie cars sold at auction for $1 million. Wow. Super value. For and not a real Shelby. For not a real Shelby. So these cars have been like copied over oh, and yeah. over. And With people the get, hideous body kits. And the thing is, is that people get sued for copying them. Oh, really? Because someone has the rights to make Eleanor. So the right to make Eleanor is uh, is has been sold a couple of times now, but it's something that not everybody can just make them. I didn't and, realize that. And resell, and resell them. So 12 of these were built for the film. Uh, just seven survived. The original Gone in 60 Seconds movie wrecked 93 cars in a 97-minute <laughs> film. Did you see film. the original? I have not seen oh, the original. Oh, it's, it's good. It's even worse, but it's good. The uh, the four Eleanor Mustangs, you know the finale jump where he jumps yes, over the bridge? Yes. They destroyed two cars, totaling them on that. So You're talking this 1970? No, this is... This is 
There's a lot of mirroring going on in okay. the two movies I hear. So the uh, they originally wanted to use GT40s instead oh, of geez. the Mustang to step it up. They wanted to step it up in the remake yeah. of the movie. They wanted to step it up and do four okay. GT40s. But I'm guessing the idea of crashing seven or five of those things probably didn't go yeah. over very well, even if you were building some sort of some sort of replica on that. So, all right, next car is not a car at all. What? And I don't have any clips for this one, so it's going to be really easy. <laughs> it is a 1955 Peterbilt 281 semi-truck. Okay. Before Schindler's List, <laughs> before Jurassic Park, way before E.T., Jaws, and Indiana Jones, there was Duel, a film that Steven Spielberg filmed in just 11 days. For most people, it's a relatively mundane TV movie of a truck chasing a car for 74 minutes. But it's not. It's a really, really good, evil character, this truck. Only one truck was used while filming the original TV movie, which was famously destroyed when it plunged off a cliff at the end. But this movie ended up being on, uh, you're going to look it up? I am, yeah. yeah. So they ended up doing a movie for it, and then they built a couple more of those things. So this movie feeds on anxiety. What is it called? It's called Duel, D-U-E-L. It's, this, it's basically David Mann is driving a Plymouth Valiant, a little tiny red Plymouth Valiant, and he gets into this road rash, uh, sorry, road rage incident with the car that's uh, with the truck. He's like, okay. he wants to pass him, and then he can't, and then the truck, so it basically becomes a road rage thing. And you never see the driver of this truck, never, not once. You see his arms a couple of times, okay. but it just makes the truck as the character right. of the movie. Um, the driver's inner monologue gets crazier and crazier, and um, basically he he starts getting just terrified. He pulls over and tries to call up a phone booth. The truck drives over the phone booth. He can't do any with that. So um, he viewed the series, so Stephen Bilbeer viewed a series of trucks to choose the one for the film. He selected the older 1955 Peterbilt 281 over the current flat-nosed cab-over style trucks because mm -hmm. the long hood of the Peterbilt, its split windshield, and its round headlights gave it more of a face, adding to its menacing personality. For sure. Spielberg also said that multiple car license plates on the front bumper of the Peterbilt subtly suggested that truck driver is a serial killer, having run down oh. other drivers in other sta states. For each shot, several people were tasked to make it uglier, each successively adding oil, grease, faked dead insects, and other blemishes. <laughs> so every scene in the movie, it gets it more gets dirty. dirty. It just gets dirtier and more evil. Um, the truck had twin rear axles, a Cat 1674 turbocharged engine with a 13-speed transmission, making it capable of hauling loads of over 30 tons and top speeds reaching 75 to 80 miles an hour. During the original filming, the crew only had one truck, so the shots of the truck falling off the cliff had to be completed in one take. Wow. Listening to him rev it up is kind of funny. It only moves like 30 RPMs every time the guy like, revs <laughs> up the truck. Um, the thing only had 300 horsepower. But he, these things are all torque. Yeah, they're all torque, of course. But I have to imagine that the 318 V8 that was in the movie car probably could have ran away. Um, so it's a little tiny car True. with tiny tires. It's red. And yep. You have this big, huge, menacing truck. Towards the end, the shots of the truck get really, really, really cool and really good. Spielberg must have... Spielberg absolutely got this truck to exude evil, intimidation, and power. The film must be sped up in parts, in my opinion. You can tell that they, they had to have oh. sped things up a little bit. Um, but otherwise, it was excellent work. Imagine the huge film cameras on big rigs bolted onto these cars. It must have been a monumental effort. At the end of, at the, end of the movie, the truck dies, and I just keep expecting the truck to start up again <laughs> anyway. So I haven't seen Duel, but your description reminds me of the terrible movie from 2001 called Joyride with okay. Paul Walker. 
Do you remember this? No. Where they're on, him and his buddy are on a road trip and they are like messing with this truck driver on the CB and the truck driver keeps like killing people next to them and like he's a serial killer. They, it must have been inspired by Duel at least partially. Yeah, well maybe it's the same guy. Maybe that guy is still, you know, yeah, he survived. Yeah, out there. Yeah, so it's, one of these trucks still exists. I watched a video of this guy who owns it. Um, and then there's this like movie buff guy that goes over to the guy's house. Oh, can I drive your your, your Peterboat? <laughs> and he can't operate the. the yeah, yeah, I don't just, even know if I could operate that. The 13 speed twin stick thing, probably. Yeah, not. I'd don't like know. to. If oh, anybody, I would if, love to try. If any of our listeners have a manual, somehow you have to semi, like float shift it, and yeah, yeah it's, it's a little bit too much. So we have two cars left on the list. That number, was three, huh? That, that was, was number three? three, I think. Yeah, that was number three. So we have number two and number one. Okay. Both of which I interviewed Buddy Joe Hooker, who is the stunt driver and stunt coordinator for these films. Oh, wow. So I had did a long interview with Buddy Joe, and we're going to talk about those two cars and his life as a stunt car driver in another episode that'll be coming up in a couple <laughs> weeks. So we're teasing again. So, so previously teasing, we had 20 through 11, and then we kind of skipped 10, mentioned it, and now we had nine through three. Two and one are going to be coming up. That's right. So before we go, do you have any other sponsors? I you, do. You yeah, we have to talk about Petrol Box. And as I mentioned before, the holiday season is coming up. Petrol Box, I think, should be on your list here. Petrol Box is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, these guys carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, you name it. They bundle it up and send it right there to your doorstep. There's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrolbox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month at $19.95, while the Petrolbox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Be sure to check them out at mypetrolbox.com. That's M-Y-P-E-T-R-O-L-B-O-X.com. And use code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month. And Chris, you know what I always forget to mention about these guys? When you subscribe to their box every month, they give away a set of rotiform wheels to That's one true. subscriber. That's true. It's a really cool deal. It's pretty rad. Um, so what are you upset with cars that aren't on this list? <sighs> or are you willing to accept the fact that this is just my little my Oh, you little, know, it's totally your world. little deal. And it's interesting because there's some of those that I hadn't even known about. I can't about believe you haven't seen Cars 1. That's, that's disappointing. Yeah, I don't think I have. Yeah, so you got to watch Cars 1. I haven't one. seen Christine. Another one you need to see and duel everybody. And duel. It's it's like a dollar to rent it on the iTunes store. It's super cheap. Just go rent it. It's it's basically what gave Steel, Steven Spielberg his kick because it was a made for TV movie okay. that ended up was so good that they refilmed a bunch of it to put it in theaters. I think um, the thirty two Milner Coupe from American Graffiti, which I've never seen, get uh, some sort of mention. I think. What was the other one I was going to mention? Blues Brothers, the cop car from Blues, Blues Brothers. I just don't like Jim Belushi, so I don't like I, don't, I won't watch the movie. I just I don't like the humor of him. Was it Dan Aykroyd, the other guy? Or yeah, something? yeah. No, that's just, I can't get into it. can't that do it? Humor. All right. No, I'm trying to think what me. some other really good ones were. I'm sure our listeners will let us know. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm sure, well, they already have in, in multiple well, formats. Previously. So I have a question for you. What's that? Over the last two years that we've been doing this, what's your favorite moment? Oh, Wow. What's your favorite moment with the podcast? Favorite person or favorite episode or what 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 really makes you want to keep doing this? Um honestly, this is going to sound corny, but it's the listeners. You know, Chris and I, we sit in kind of, you know, it, it it's less a dark, dingy room than your basement as it used to be. <laughs> but it's still, you know, we're just looking at each other in a quiet room. 
But we forget how many of you there are out there listening to us. Yeah, and I so was, when I see some of the comments and I read some of the reviews and I just see the sheer numbers of people listening, that really is what keeps me going and want to do it. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to think if you were talking in front of the thousands of people that listen, what that would feel like. In some were, stadium. In the stadium or like, well, I don't know if we're, we're not quite stadium not, We wouldn't yet. sell out a stadium. We wouldn't sell out a stadium. Maybe but some could, theater. You could sell out an amphitheater for sure. And I, I probably would just like poop freeze myself up. and freeze up and not be able to do it. So at least I get to do it behind the behind the veil of this microphone. Anyway, that's it, guys. We will see you next week. We're gonna have the Buddy Joe Hooker interview, and uh, which is it's incredible. Some of the stories he's he's, he's I wasn't he's here me. when Chris was uh, recording it, but he's told me some of the highlights. That yeah. I'm really looking forward. It's to it's it. really really good. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Don't forget to stop over at Patreon.com/slash/overcrest. Support, support the, the show, show. leave us a five-star review, and uh, yeah, that's it. That's all we got for you. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye.